Psalm 2, as we continue our Psalms series, Songs That Shape Us. And a couple of weeks ago in this meeting, Reuben kicked off the series. And then last Sunday, Dave was speaking, Dave Holden, who happened to also preach from Psalms, but that wasn't part of the Psalm series. All right, just to kind of confuse you, uh, Dave, in his kind of transitioning role, uh, his church will increasingly preach kind of... Um, I guess apostolic kind of words, things of burden on his on his heart and on our heart as a as a church eldership team, and uh, he just confused things by preaching from the Psalms. It was fantastic, um, and it fit. It was wonderful, and it is a theme that we'll come back to again and again and again. Obviously, because it's a big part of who we are. But this is part two of uh, of this Psalm series, and we're going to be in Psalm two, which is. Um, Truthfully, probably very appropriate at a moment of kind of national mourning. Um, it's already been referenced in our meeting. Psalm 2 is a what we call a coronation psalm. There is a king about to take the throne of Israel. And as with any kind of moment of coronation, a, a, a new king or queen is replacing an old one. And so it is often a moment of... Um, Mixed emotions. And as we kind of looked at in, in, in the first week of the Psalms series, the Psalms express every kind of emotion. There is weeping and rejoicing and everything in between. And often those weeping and rejoicing emotions are happening at the same time. And this, I suppose, in one sense, nationally, is a little bit like that. There is, of course, um, sorrow and sadness at the passing of a, a, a monarch who, for most of us in this room, has been an ever-present in our lives. And whether you're a royalist or not, this is a woman who, at the age 21, dedicated her life, whether long or short, she said, to public service. And she really did. She did that. If you've ever listened to any of her Christmas messages, you will know that she served for the good of her people, of the people, absolutely. But really, she served for the glory of God. And so it's entirely appropriate uh, for emotions, uh, truthfully for us as believers, entirely appropriate emotions at the other end of the scale as well, of mourning, of, of celebration and of rejoicing. Hannah and I and the kids were up in London last night kind of mooching around, queuing, and um, it, was, it, was a, it was a mix of emotions. But actually for us as believers, uh, we do not grieve as the world grieves, and the queen who, let's uh, just, reality, she's our sister in Christ. She's many other things, but she's our sister in Christ. She now stands before her king, just as we all will one day stand before our king too. And so we can join with, Paddington Bear, I guess, and say, thank you, your majesty. <laughs> and of course, she was not perfect, but to the best of her ability, she demonstrated public servant leadership and, and she pointed people to Jesus. And whatever you think of the place of the monarchy in the 21st century, she will go down as a good queen. And uh, I'll probably finally agree to Hannah's request to watch the crown with her <laughs> as a result. But, but actually, they're kind of... Um, 
some, the reality is there's something kind of in all of us, deep down perhaps, maybe even subconsciously perhaps, but there is something in us, this, this story of kings and queens that kind of shapes us. Our hearts are shaped around this story of kings and the story of queens. There is something in us, uh, whether we kind of realize it or not, that longs for a king or a queen who rules well and who makes things right. And actually that story of a king or a queen who rules with authority and wisdom and and goodness and mercy and makes things things good, that actually shapes so much of our TV, so much of our films, so much of our stories, so much of our literature, so much of our arts. How many of you, and I'm going to give you a broad range of stuff here just to kind of help you. How many of you have have ever experienced a story like that? How many of you have seen The Lion King? Yeah, there's more of you than that. Right, you've all seen Lion King. How many of you have ever, you don't need to put your hand up now because I'm not going to embarrass you. How many, have, how many of you have seen Robin Hood or a version of it? The Disney one, my favourite. How many of like Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, whether books or film? Yeah, exactly, here we go. It's exactly the same. King Arthur, how many got into King Arthur and the Knights? Yeah, there's less so wanting to own that one. For those of you who are sitting there, what have we come to? Don't worry, we'll get to the Bible in a moment. And if those of you think this is not cultured enough for me, how many of you have read or seen Shakespeare Spears, Henry V. Oh, yes, well, there you go. <laughs> have you ever thought, for those of you who've seen all of those, or at least two of them, have you ever thought those stories are basically exactly the same? Every single one of those stories, there was once a great king who ruled with wisdom and power and justice and compassion, and in those days, everything was good. But then something's happened, and that king has been taken away or has gone, and now everything is broken. And everybody now lives, the people are all now living, looking for the day in which that king will come back and will make everything good. Like that's basically the story of Lion King, right? You have a good king, Simba's dad, Mufasa, who rules and everything is good in the plains and it's all wonderful until that evil, he gets killed in a stampede and the evil king Scar takes over and everything goes terribly wrong. But it's okay because Simba is somewhere and he grows up and eventually comes home, takes his rightful place as king and everything's good again. It's the circle of life and all that kind of stuff. It's all good. It's exactly the same with the story of Robin Hood. Robin Hood has to fight because the good king has gone and everything's gone wrong. Now, Robin Hood is not the king himself, but he is fighting on behalf of the king until the rightful king can come back, take his place and everything's good again. It's basically the same story of Lord of the Rings as well. And amongst the hobbits and the goblins and the orcs and all the other stuff, essentially there is a true king somewhere. He's hidden up in the north. It's all a mess. When he returns, it'll all be good and peace will come to the land again. Don't need to read it now. Just told you the story. It's exactly the same for those who are a little bit more cultured. Shakespeare's Henry V. It's based more in history than Lord of the Rings, but it's around the Battle of Agincourt in the 15th century and there's a warrior king who defeats the French. And Shakespeare presents him as like the perfect king because he's this fierce warrior, this mighty man of war who defeats the evil enemy. But he's also tender and mild and compassionate and gracious and loving, the kind of king that we all want. We love that idea of a king who fights battles and then is really lovely and kind with it. The reality is Shakespeare got this wrong from history. Henry V was this warrior king, but he was not so much the kind and compassionate king. He slaughtered all the prisoners. And that's why actually in much of the world, certainly in the Western world, we've got rid of kings. Kind of turns out that they're not actually everything we want. 
And so kings and queens are generally in the West now ceremonial. We love the idea, but we don't so much love the actual reality because when kings actually wield authority, we don't really like it very much. I mean, we love, still love the concept, love the idea. It's why we love stories of kings. And if you're someone thinking, I don't like any of those kings things, if Marvel's more your thing or DC, that's basically exactly the same. Superhero, superhero stories are exactly the same except people are wearing tight clothing and capes rather than crowns. Still exactly the same story. You see, all of our stories are like this. When king, good kings rule, things are good. In the absence of a king, or the seeming absence of a king, and things are not good, we then look forward for a day when it will be made right again. For a day when believing that the king will return permanently to make it all things good. And that's basically the story of King Arthur and Camelot. Good king is present, all good. Bad king, he's absent, sorry, and then everything goes wrong. And supposedly on Arthur's tombstone somewhere, it says, here lies Arthur, the once and future king. And that's the kind of thing, one day Arthur will return, he's the future king, and everything will be all good forever. Definitely the story of Narnia, right? That's exactly the same. There are earthly kings, and they do some good, a level of good, but there's this true and eternal king who appears in the story, he's a big lion, he's called Aslan. One day he will return, and he will bring goodness in all its fullness, and he will rule with authority and majesty and compassion, and it'll all be good in the end. And the reason, of course, we love all of these stories are that they are basically just a dim reflection of the one true story over all of history. We long for and we need a king to make things right. And yet we have a bit of a strange relationship with that idea because we also hate that idea. Let's look at the second song in this book of songs, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all, blessed are all, blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, psalms, psalms are songs, right? Songs to be sung. Songs that shape us. And they're poems too. 
And the way that Hebrew, this is not just some fancy pants, this thing, this is, this is really important. The way that Hebrew poetry works is that, the, is that these Psalms, Psalm one and two are linked. And we know that because the first word of the last line of Psalm two and the first word of Psalm one are the same. So that it's a Hebrew kind of way of linking these two things together. And that word is blessed. And it means that one follows the other. And so everything that is promised in Psalm 1, all that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that for the righteous, there is abundance of life, but for the wicked, there's not so. The righteous will flourish, but the wicked will perish. All that that Psalm 1 is promised, we can have confidence that it will all happen because of Psalm 2 and the message that it contains. You see, Psalm 2 is a declaration that the Lord reigns. Yes, this psalm is about an earthly king. There is, a, there is a historical context. Every psalm is written into or about an actual event, an actual historical context that happened. It's about this, but it's also all about that. Because when you read Psalm 2, you realise that the things said about this king Look at verse two, the Lord's anointed. The things said about this king, look at verse four, the one who sits in the heavens. That word sits is a literal translation. When it refers to normal people like you and I, it means what you're doing right now, literally sitting. But when it refers to royalty, it carries the meaning enthroned. And so some translations have that as enthroned. The king is sits, the king enthrones in the heaven. So when you read this Psalm, you realize that the things it's talking about this king are too great to be kind of confined to any earthly king. And so we read this psalm as being about a greater king. This psalm is about Jesus. The ascended Jesus himself in in Luke 24, verse 44, he, he told his disciples that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, it must be, it will be fulfilled in me. This is about him. We see lots of other New Testament references to this psalm as well. Peter in, in Acts 4, verse 25, he, he preaches that Christ's cross was the epitome of the nation's rage. They rage because of the work of Jesus on the cross. In Acts 13, verse 33, Paul says that uh, Jesus received his coronation after his resurrection and he literally quotes Psalm 2. And he says in Ephesians 1, 21, that, there is, that this king is reigning far above with all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. This is a king for whom has no rival. This is a king with no equal. This is a king in whom we can truly say there is none like him. And this psalm is a declaration that there is a king and he reigns. And it's a declaration that you need to submit to him. But that's not a popular message, is it? Like we love ceremonial kings and queens. We love fictional ones. But the real one who demands something of us, not so much. Look at the first three verses here. The response of the nations and the kings of this age, the response of the peoples, it's the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 1 for meditate in verse 2 of Psalm 1 is used for the word plot in Psalm 2 verse 1. And the picture here is that people are meditating, they are thinking on, they are plotting, they are working out how to rebel against God's word and live according to their own authority. They hate the king. Actually, they hate even the idea of a king. 
hate the idea of someone, a king who rules, who has actual authority. And they say, let's burst the bonds. Let's cast away their cords. Let's break the chains of this king. Now, think about that imagery for a moment. The kings of this earth are not upset because they are prisoners and have chains on them. That's not what's happening here. The picture is not that God and his anointed ones have the peoples of the world and they've chained them up and they've thrown them in prison. The kings of this world, the peoples, the nations of this world are upset because they know that they have an owner. The idea here is that they have been created and therefore the creator has rights over them. There's a sense in which the creator owns the created. He owns the people. He owns us. And that's what people want nothing to do with rebelling against the idea that they're not their own. Think about it, in Western culture, we absolutely hate the idea that we are not our own. We absolutely, in the West, hate this idea that anybody else has authority over me in my life. We hate the idea that there is anybody or anything or any power or any system or any structure that tells me what I can and can't do. I am my own, no one controls me. And we see it worked out in, in all sorts of ways. Last night, I, as I'm walking down the mall and I just wanna cross the road and I'm not allowed to cross the road. Why? Because there's a whole load of police officers saying, no, you're not allowed to cross the road. And I'm like, I'm nearly 40 years old. I can cross the road. Why can I not cross the road? And like, because there's a vehicle coming. I'm like, I'm not going to walk in front of it. What is the problem? There's too many people here. Why do you think we're all idiots? And there's something burning inside me. It goes, just this ridiculous thing. When all he's asking me to do is wait like two minutes. That's it. Two minutes. And yet someone telling me what I can't, I can't cross the road. I'm not an American. What's the problem? I can do this myself. No. And so it works itself out at that level, but oh my goodness, does it work it out so much more at a serious level. No one can tell me what to do. No one has the right to, and whoa, 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 my self-freedom, I can define who I am, I can declare who I am. No one, nothing external from me shall ever tell me who I am or what I am or what I do. I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own ship. I am in control of my destiny. I am not having anything for anyone else. We hate that idea we belong to someone, except we do. We are not captain of our own ship. We are not the master of our own fate. You and I have absolutely no control over what is gonna happen tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. We are not able to just define ourselves however we wish. And Psalm 2 is a warning and a reminder. There is a king above kings. There is a king behind the kings. We were built to submit to that king. We were built to give ourselves to that king. We were built to stand before and adore and serve and know that king. And verses 10 to 12 give us this real sober warning. You can either serve and rejoice and kiss the king and you'll find refuge in him and you will be blessed or you won't serve. You won't rejoice. You won't kiss the king and you will perish. You'll be destroyed in your way. You'll be destroyed where you stand. Here's the thing we've got to understand. There is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. There's no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. There's no in-between. You need the king. And you have to be persuaded of that because unless you submit yourself to what you were built for, you will perish along the way. Do you see that? 
until you submit to the king, until you give yourself entirely and utterly and completely to him, your heart, the Bible says, will not function as the way it's supposed to. You and I are not Aragon or Aslan. We're not even Simba in this story. There is a, we're not the king. There is a king who rules. There is a king who reigns. There is one king who slays evil. There is one king who maintains justice and order. There is one king who controls our past and our present and our future. There is one king within whom all of our destinies are in his hand. There is one king, a lion who roars. There is one king who is yet paradoxically, as well as being this warrior, he's also this tender and compassionate and loving and gentle and beautiful saviour and king to his subjects. And until we recognise that we don't control any of the things that our hearts crave, until we submit to the one who truly does control all things, there's always going to be discontent in our hearts. There's always going to be rumblings. There's always going to be grumblings. There's always going to be lack. Feel lack, discontentment, frustration, it's more than likely it's because you haven't taken refuge fully in the king. There's still an element of I'm in control. I want to run this thing. I want to do this thing. I want to do. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. But in the king, there is abundance. There is blessing. There is the happiness of Psalm 1. It's only found in the king. Do you know him? Do you know him? Not do you know about him, do you know him? And if you do know him, are you living like it? Because let's just go back to the stories of the kings for a moment. There may well be a, a, a king who reigns, but how do we now live? Like how do we live, like especially when it looks like the king isn't on the throne? Or we kind of know, but you look around and you think, ah, Yes, in here. Yes, all hail the Lamb. Yes, in here, the King. He is none like him. But then I go to work tomorrow and it doesn't look so much like there is a King on the throne and things are good. It looks an awful lot like things are broken and messed up. How do we live right here, right now, when it looks like there's an absence of the King? Because truthfully, like as, as much as some of us kind of may wish it to be, we're not like Timon and Pumbaa from The Lion King. They're the guys who walk around singing Akuna Matata. Like, we're not those guys. Akuna Matata. It means no worries for the rest. We, like, some of us would just love to be, oh, just leave all that stuff. I just want to be there. That's not life, right? I mean, most of us in this room know that because there are pressures and there's pain and there's all sorts of stuff that we face. And kind of these brief moments on a Sunday are like this, oh, little relief, and then oh, back into it. Some of us will go back into it literally after we leave here. We'll all be back in it. Tomorrow's a day off. Tuesday, we'll all be back in it. It's not real life, is it? To be like, oh, it's fine. But nor are we Robin Hood or Peter or Lucy or Batman or whoever, you know? We're not, we're not the superhero. It's not our story. We're not the heroes, but we are participants. So how do we live as we wait for the king's return to make everything wrong, everything that's wrong, right again? Firstly, we live by faith, believing that that, the king is returning, is actually going to happen and it will truly happen and it will fully happen and it will completely happen. You see, whatever else shapes us, 
this simply must. This confidence in the future, this confidence in where we're going, this confidence in the new heavens and the new earth, this confidence in the returning king, it must be the song that shapes our hearts. It must be the lens through which we view everything else. This is the end to all of our stories. The king has come once and he's coming again. One day every tear will be wiped away. Every injustice fully and truly will be dealt with. Every trace of wickedness, every trace of wickedness will be wiped permanently. Every corrupted cell in your body will be perfected. Every upside down thing will be made right. That's how we live now, believing that that truly will happen. Romans 1.17 says that the righteous will live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we live by faith, not by sight. How do we live when things look broken and messed up? We live by faith. And living by faith changes everything. Living by faith means that we look back with absolute confidence back to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection and believe now that the penalty for sin has been removed and that now we are those who are sons and daughters as we heard in our worship. We are those who are citizens of heaven. We are those who are sons of the King. We are those who are co-heirs with Christ. We All our guilt, all of our shame, all of our mess has been dealt with and we believe that by faith. But we live in in the present now as well, believing that the power of sin is being diminished daily in our lives as we are being transformed. And you think, yeah, but yesterday I did it. But praise God, we're not in yesterday, we're in today. And tomorrow you will be one step further to being perfected again. Right now in our presence, Jesus the King is freeing us from the power of sin. But one day he's returning too and he will free us entirely from the presence of sin. And so living by faith means we look forward we don't constantly kind of, we look forward with hope and assurance that one day Jesus Christ will return for his bride and everything wrong will be made right and we will be free forever from the presence of sin and living like that it's not just words it's a reality of how we face the lens through which we view everything in our lives this belief brings with it joyful and abundant life even in the presence of suffering because my cells might be corrupted but one day they won't There is evil and wickedness that is pushing in on me and impacting me, but one day it won't. So right now, because that's where I'm going, I can live here now. Faith in what to come gives us a sense of peace no matter what chaos goes on around us. And it gives us a sense of purpose too. Because the king's work is our work, right? In that sense, we are a little bit like Robin Hood. We are a little bit like Peter and Lucy from Narnia. We're not the king, but we are about his work because we are the king's people. We are his ambassadors, which we are the means by which he is bringing about his rule and reign, which means that we speak, we declare, we herald the gospel, we evangelize. That word literally just means proclaim good news. In days of old, following a victory on the battlefield, a herald would ride into the the next town and evangelize, would declare, would herald the good news that the king has won and would say any of the king's people who are in this place you should celebrate because the king has won any of you who are not the king's people you need to surrender your lives you need to submit your lives because the king has won a battle and he's on his way that's what we do now we herald we proclaim we declare the king has won victory has come death is defeated this is truly good news we're the king's herald so we proclaim it 
but we're also the king's people. So we live it. We don't just say, we show. We don't just say there's a king who's on the throne. We also live as the king's people with lives that declare the king is on the throne. So we live by faith, but we live by faith looking forward right now in the present as a prophetic statement of what is to come. That is who we are. You've been in this church any length of time, you've heard me say this. We are a prophetic statement of what is to come. One day there will be a great multitude from, of people from every tribe and every language and every people and every, everything gathered around the throne. This is what God has always been about, gathering for himself a people to dwell in, in perfect peace together. Don't miss that. Gathering to, get, to dwell together in perfect peace in his perfect presence for all eternity. That's where we are heading. All the stuff of Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, that is our future. That's where we're going. And we're supposed to be a prophetic statement of that. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Just last week, even just another tragic reminder in our city of how messed up and broken things are. The tragic news of the the shooting to death of a young man called Chris Carver wasn't widely reported in many ways because of obviously the news of the Queen. But yet another shooting of an unarmed black man. And yet another community grieving and in pain again. It's not okay. And bringing these kind of things together, we need a king who will bring peace and justice for all. And we have one coming, he will. But right now we are a prophetic statement of what one day will be perfect. We can't do it perfectly, but as imperfectly as we can, we are supposed to be a community, a people, the king's people who look like that right here. And so when one section of our family grieves, we all grieve. When one section of our family feels pain, we all should feel the pain. When one section of our family experiences injustice, we should all be angry at that injustice because it is not okay. And the reality is there is no peace without justice. One day it will be done perfectly. But right now we, we need to be a people who pursue peace and justice in every area of our lives in all places. And so what do we do? Well, we commit again to building a church of all nations, of all peoples, to the glory of God. Look at verse eight, Psalm two with me. Ask of me, says the Lord, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So the first thing we do here is we pray this into being. Ask of me, ask of me, says the Lord. Ask of me, says the Lord. And we say, Lord, we're asking of you. That is our future. Make it our present reality increasingly to look like what one day will be perfect. Ask of me, says the Lord. And then we believe by faith that he will make the nations our heritage. And we therefore live it out now in our own lives as many prophetic statements of what is to come. People should look at our lives and see something of heaven, something of the peace, something of the joy, something also of the people. Yeah. 
Do you get that? Individually, yes, we should demonstrate peace and joy, but also people. There should be a sense of people look at our lives and think, wow, you, you really, what is, what is it? You seem to spend so, every, every time I look at the people coming in and out of your house, they're so different from you. Every t- you seem to know people from all these different, what is going on? I'm pointing to what you will experience fully one day in perfection. And so very practically, that just looks like building relationships with people who are not like you in the context of community together, walking, talking, living out, knowing, carrying each other's burdens. And living by faith, I'll just end with this, recognises that there is an urgency to all of this. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's not kid ourselves. There is a moment coming when the king will return. And he's come once and he came in meekness and he came in weakness, but he's not coming back the same way he first came. He's not coming back wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, nor is he coming back in, in peace on a donkey in all humility. He's returning as one with all authority and all power not wrapped in swaddling cloths, but wearing a robe dipped in blood. Revelation 19 says, then I saw heaven opened. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is faithful and true and in righteousness, in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes are lit like a flame of fire and on his head there are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself and he is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and it says the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them it says with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh has a name written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when we think about the return of the King I'm not sure we think about this stuff anywhere near enough when we rightfully think about the need for forgiveness, when we rightfully think about grace, I'm not sure we create enough space for this. And yet this is how he's gonna return. It's not gonna be like, oh, he's just, oh, he's appearing on the sky. Oh, look, is it a bird? No, is it, oh, look, it's, he's riding on a big white horse with a robe dipped in blood. Yeah. No, he will literally rip apart. He will literally tear apart the reality that you and I know and he will step into it. He will invade the universe in such a way that the full magnitude of the glory of God is made visible. Everything you see, everything that you and I see and know right now is but a reflector of the glory of God. On this day coming, there'll be no need to reflect because his presence will be fully present and truly there. That is the day that is coming. And we need to remember that this is a reality and for some it's a terrifying reality, right? In fact, so terrifying in his presence at the second coming, the Bible says that those who are outside of the kingdom will flee to the mountains. But it also says that the mountains will flee before the coming of the Lord. You think about that for a moment. If the mountains are afraid, if there are mountains are like, oh my, here he comes and they up sticks and they run. 
How much more? How much more? How much more for those who are outside the kingdom of God? Psalm 2, verse 10, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. The message of Psalm 2 is that there's a king who rules There is a king who reigns. One day he will make all things right. And we, his people, the people who have put their trust in Jesus, the people who say, he is my Lord, he is my saviour, he is my king, we are to have confidence in that king. We're to have confidence that that king, the one from whom the mountains will one day flee, the one who rules with all supremacy, all authority, the one whom it says in in scripture, even with his breath of his mouth, he can kill his enemies. The one who is and was and is to come. The one from everlasting to everlasting. The one who is alpha and omega. The one who has no beginning, no end, who made all things, who sustains all things, who is coming to make all things new, who is coming to rid every wrong and make it all right. That one with all power and all authority is bringing all of that power and all of that authority to bear in your life. He is fighting your battles. He is for you, not against you. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you. There is no sin. There is no person. There is no power that can separate you from the love of that God. He is with you. He is for you. He is doing things. Even when you don't see it, He is working. He is moving in power for the people of God. We are to live with confidence in that King. He loves you and he is for you. The day of his return is terrifying for those who don't know him. There's still time. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Take refuge in him. And if you do know him, know this, the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And therefore, we should speak and act towards that end. Of course, that'll look different for each of us, but may God fill us with confidence in the everlasting dominion of his Messiah so that we turn from fear and call the nations to take refuge in Christ. Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you rule with authority and supremacy and power. Jesus, you are truly victorious. You are truly glorious. You're unrivaled, have such power, such authority. Lord, we call on your name. We ask of you, we ask of you, will you make the nations your heritage? Will you make the ends of the earth your possession? Thank you that one day you fully will. May you bless this church that we might increasingly be a prophetic statement of what is to come. Confident in the King, confident in the King's work. May we truly be a people from increasing tribe and tongue who take your word seriously, who take you seriously, who love you, love one another, display your kingdom and speak your good news to communities. Oh God, thank you that there are people as yet who are not yet part of the kingdom who will be. We'll have the joy of seeing more baptisms like the one that we saw earlier on the screen of Katie. People from all tribes, all tongues, all backgrounds, all everything, bowing the knee and surrendering. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. As for me and my house, as for this house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Increase your presence among us, O King. 
Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence among us. As we gather to pray next week, week on Monday, Lord, would you flood this place with your presence? Would you flood every meeting with your presence? Would you give us confidence in the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to save? Would you give confidence in the message of the King? And would you strengthen your people for your name's sake and our good and the sake of a watching world? I pray for my brothers and sisters right now for whom this week brings real toil, real pressure, real pain, real hardship. King of kings, Lord of lords, bring your weight to bear in their lives. Pray for everybody in this place right now whose cells are corrupted in some way. Bring healing in the name of Jesus. Pray for every situation that needs breakthrough. King of kings, Lord of lords, bring it. Bring it, bring it in the name of Jesus. Every cry of the people's hearts from the depths of who we are. Oh, merciful, gracious King, would you hear and in your mercy respond. Every need would you provide for. Every wall that needs to come tumbling down, break it down in the name of Jesus. Every chain that needs to be broken, free it and break it in the name of Jesus. Where there needs to be joy, let joy come in the name of Jesus. Where there is current mourning, may our heads be turned and lifted in the name of Jesus. May we be increasingly be a people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations who say you are our King and you are good and you are for us. Oh, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love your presence. We love your people. We love the things you are about. We confess that we don't always love as we should. We confess that we don't always do as we could. Forgive us, O King. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we be strengthened in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said. 